Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Millennial Property with John Pigeon. Uh, today we're talking about title insurance. What is title insurance? When is title insurance a good idea? What does it cover? How much is title insurance cost? How long does it last for? All these questions, I'm not going to answer them, but I've got an expert on that will answer them for us. So without further ado, let's get into it. Paul Watkins from Stuart Title Limited. Welcome to the show. Thanks, John. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for uh, having us. My pleasure. Now, your background is uh, as a property lawyer, uh, but at the moment you're general counsel of, of Australia for Stuart Title. So first of all, let's uh, talk about what Stuart Title does in, in terms of uh, providing title insurance and who's it for. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I, I started out my legal career as a, as a property lawyer in private practice. Um, in around about 2003, 2004, uh, I became aware of this uh, title insurance concept and I got so fascinated by it that I ended up joining um, Stuart Title, who is one of the major title insurers in Australia. So Stuart Title is a general insurer. We've been issuing title insurance policies in Australia since around about 2003. Predominantly, we service the residential market. We do have a commercial product but the bulk of the policies that we sell uh, are sold to residential uh, buyers and also residential existing owners. Awesome. So I, I suppose for a, a lot of our listeners may not have even heard of title insurance. Some of them with investment properties or, or properties in general may be thinking, well, would title insurance apply to me? So can we can we first start with, well, why would someone get title insurance? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's um, you're absolutely right. Uh, title insurance certainly doesn't have the the market recognition that other property insurances do, like uh, you know your, your home contents, you know, home warranty, building warranty. But what title insurance does is it focuses on legal defects in your property title, as opposed to the physical destruction or damage of the property or workmanship defects. So when you're looking at an insurance portfolio for your home or for an investment property, you want to ensure certain risks. So obviously you want your insurance in place for the damage or destruction of the asset in case it burns down. Uh, that's your home insurance. Uh, you can get insurance for, for workmanship defects, so your home building or home warranty insurance. And what title insurance really focuses on are risks associated with your legal property ownership or title. And that really relates to things that aren't necessarily physical. They can't be looked at in the same way as workmanship issues can be identified. 
but nonetheless they can still lead to considerable loss or cost. So some examples of that, John, would be, for example, one of the risks that's covered by title insurance is enforcement action by a local council, a local authority, in relation to unapproved building works on a property. So when you buy a property, the previous owners may have carried out extensions or renovations or some other building works to the property in circumstances where they really should have got a building permit or development consent from council for those works, but they did not. And then you come along as the buyer, you inherit those, that property and those works, but unbeknownst to you, that is actually potentially leading to enforcement action by a local council if they discover those prior unapproved building works on the property. And then you, as the new owner, have to comply with any enforcement action. So that enforcement action affects your title because it's, it's a legal process that the property owner must comply with. And if you were to try and sell your property with open enforcement action from a, a council, that's going to affect your ability to sell the property. So that's one of the risks, that's one of the main risks that a title insurance policy covers. And you would know more than more than me, but I'm, I'm sure there are uh, hundreds and maybe thousands of unapproved works uh, that have gone on over the years in residential property around Australia. But in the example like that, let's take a I don't know, an unapproved pergola, for example. So if the council knocks on the door and says to the new owner, look, we realise that you've got an unapproved pergola in the backyard or on the back deck, we we need you to get it approved. Uh, Does it cover the cost of the the repairs or the the maintenance or the improvements to get it approved and and the application to council or or how far does that insurance um, take them? Yeah, sure. It's a good question. So, Um, Normally, what council will be doing when they identify unapproved works is they're going to be applying the provisions of the Environmental Planning and Assessment Act. And so in New South Wales, for example, you need to be able to satisfy council that the unapproved structure is building code compliant and is structurally sound. So that's your first step, really, is what a homeowner will be required to do is to Um, provide some kind of a report to council from a a building expert to say, look, we've inspected the pergola and in our opinion, it building codes and standards and is structurally sound. If that's the case, then really the costs associated with that claim would be just the, the legal work associated with making an application to council. But what we find, John, in our claims experience is that where work has been carried out without approval, more often than not, it also doesn't meet building codes and standards. So it hasn't been built to to standards. And so normally what we find is that when that expert comes to look at the pergola, they'll say, yeah, look, unfortunately, it, it does fall short in some way. And so in order for council to remove or or cease its enforcement action, you'd have to do the rectification works to bring it into compliance with the applicable building codes and standards. So those costs are covered under the title insurance policy. 
to $160,000 per claim. So for that type of claim, the cover is capped at $160,000 per claim. Right, okay, which is a reasonable amount in the case of a pergola or a granny flat or something like that. Absolutely, I yeah. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a whole dwelling, then we might be in trouble. That's correct, yep. Talk to me about getting cover for known risks. So we, we, we go and buy this property, we get the a contract looked over by the conveyancer, conveyancer comes back and says, look, there's unapproved dwelling here or unapproved works going on, or there's a, a swimming pool that's not compliant. We, we've relayed that to the to the owner or potential buyer. We know about it and, and we, we take that risk on knowing full well that that's there. What's the, uh, I suppose, what's the likelihood of getting insurance through when we already know about these works? Yeah, sure. I mean, we get that sort of uh, line of inquiry very often. And we certainly um, deal with known risk inquiries all the time. So the bulk of the risks that we provide cover for are not known. And they're just risks that you take on when you buy a property. Um, It's where the policy provides the bulk of the coverage. For a known risk, it depends on what the uh, known unapproved work is. So for example, if we know that it's a unapproved swimming pool, then we don't cover any known risks relating to swimming pools. Um, You won't get any coverage for that. So if you take out a title insurance policy, we can cover everything else on the property, but it would exclude the known risk relating to the swimming pool, for example. The same would be for secondary dwellings and granny flats. So if you know a secondary dwelling or granny flat on the property is unapproved, that would also be excluded. We can still issue a policy for all the other risks in the policy, but that would be excluded. Where we can provide some known risk cover would be for things like unapproved carports, pergolas, garages, kind of minor works. And even though you know it's unapproved, we can still provide some known risk cover, but that known risk cover is generally capped at a fairly low amount. So you'd probably be only be um, eligible for two to five thousand dollars worth of cover, should there be enforcement action in relation to that known risk, and it would not apply in circumstances where the insured brings the known risk to the attention of the relevant local authority. So effectively, they buy a property. You know, through disclosure, that the garage is unapproved. You could come to us for known risk cover. We might provide. worth of cover for that, but it's on the basis that you don't ring up council and dob yourself in for that unapproved garage the day after you uh, take the policy out. It's in the the event that through the normal processes, uh, council discovers the unapproved garage and issues the enforcement action. Then even though it's a known risk, you still have some cover there, though not the full amount of cover that we provide for properties where there's no known risk. Sure. Okay. So it's really a case by case basis. Very much a case by case researching. Yeah. So when someone's researching to buy a property and they can potentially see some unapproved works or something that's non-compliant, then you would would assess it on its merits and and chat to someone like yourself in order to to take out the required insurance. Absolutely. And we've got uh, dedicated underwriting staff that, um, that that's effectively what they do. They, they, 
they respond to those queries and we get them a lot. And in fact, we obviously encourage people, if they're looking at buying a title insurance policy, to disclose the things they know uh, about. It's, um, it's one of the sort of uh, aspects of buying any insurance product in any category of insurance, really. Awesome. Okay. Let's get on to the big factor for a lot of people, which is how much is this going to cost me? Like if there's insurances for everything and, and sometimes we can maybe even over-insure some certain things, but we, we realize that it's a cost of doing business as a property investor to take out insurance and definitely like landlord's insurance, building insurance, those, those are non-negotiables for us because they're really big ticket items. But when we take out a, a, a title insurance policy with someone like yourself, what sort of money are we up for? And, and is it a, an annual fee? Is it a lifetime amount? What, what's, uh, what's the general? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I mean, obviously, whenever you're buying um, any sort of insurance product, you know, the, the, the return on that investment is a very important consideration. Title insurance is different to other forms of insurance, uh, as we already talked about in terms of the risks it covers. But it's also different in that it's uh, the premium that we charge as a title insurer is not an annual premium because the risks that we're covering relate to defects in the title to the property that are already uh, in existence when you buy the property. You just don't know about it. They just haven't um, crystallized to your knowledge yet. Unlike home insurance, what it's really doing is insuring you for a hazard or a risk that might occur in the next 12 months. And so will my house burn down in the next 12 months? Well, I hope not, but I want to insure against that risk. So you have to pay a premium for that 12 months, and then you've got to pay a premium for the same risk for the next 12 months onwards for the rest of your you know, ownership of the property. Title insurance is different in that we're not really insuring those risks that might come into existence in the next 12 months or the 12 months after that. They're already there. They're already present. So we charge a premium that's just paid once on settlement. And then once that premium is paid for that policy, that policy is in effect and in force for the life of your ownership of that property. So it's not an ongoing annual cost. In terms of how much is that premium, the premiums start for a residential property in New South Wales, they start at about $575. And the premium is based on the value or the purchase price of the property. So we don't price according to risk or postcodes like some other insurers for their insurance products. You know, they're looking at a lot of data and statistics about what their risk is. So someone might get charged a different premium depending on what suburb you're buying in and so on and so forth. Title insurance is very straightforward. It's just based on the purchase price of the property and it's in bands. So from zero to $500,000, the premium started about $570. From 500,000 to 750, it goes up to about 720. When you're at, at about the million dollar stage, you're looking at about thousand dollars and then right up to about two million dollars you're looking at about one thousand nine hundred depends on the purchase price and and that's like i said a one-off premium so it's not an ongoing um, cost right okay 
So it's reasonably affordable when you look at the fact that it's a one-off payment. Uh, let's take a million-dollar example. If we hold the property for 10 years, that averages out about $100 a year. Uh, and I suppose uh, we, we look at it and say, well, if it's investment property, there's an argument there that it's a running cost of the property, so it becomes tax deductible for the owner-occupier, probably not, but but obviously get, get your advice on that. But it's actually quite affordable in the whole scheme of things. Absolutely. And when you look at our, our claims portfolio, I mean, I've only mentioned the unapproved building work cover, but the claims that we get fall into three categories. One is the unapproved building work risk, but the second and one of the most, uh, you know, um, problematic types of issues are boundary boundary claims. So, because then you're dealing with a, a boundary dispute with your neighbour. So, we get a lot of claims throughout Australia where people buy properties, they think that the fences are on the boundaries, then they find out that in fact their fence line is encroaching onto the neighbor's property or vice versa and all of a sudden you know this big backyard that you thought you had is actually now going to be a lot smaller because you've got a dispute by the neighbor saying hey these boundary fences are out so when you look at the broad range of covered risks and also the likelihood of those issues arising, such as boundary disputes, boundary fences, unapproved building work, we've found that really the incidence of claims are probably much more likely to occur compared to say, your house burning down or your house being struck by lightning or hail damage or you know a truck careening off the road and smashing into your house um, or, things of, or things of that nature. And so when you look at the risk that is presented or covered under the policy in terms of the value for money it's very good value for money absolutely yeah that's good okay we're going to take a break after the break we're going to come back and and talk about the different types of of claims that commonly most people make and maybe the horror stories that uh, you've seen over your journey as well if you're after personal financial advice don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Okay, we're back. Paul, you mentioned about that's the the policy cost and and roughly starting at around five seventy five and then going upwards based on the purchase price of the property, and that was for New South Wales. Does it differ because we've got people that are listening in from from all parts of Australia? Does it differ too much from state to state? No, the premium amount doesn't really change. It's just the state stamp duty that might change the premium total a little bit from state to state, but the base premiums are pretty much the same. So, you know, a property that's going to attract a $575 premium in New South Wales is going to be roughly the same in Victoria um, or Queensland. There's going to be small variations there just based on the different stamp duty amounts that are charged in each state. Okay, because traditionally, Victoria is the worst state for stamp duty. It's It's got a way higher stamp duty percentage than somewhere like New South Wales or Queensland. So is that what you're referring to, that that would actually be more expensive if we were to take out title insurance in Victoria? Um, it's $5 more expensive based on that, that stamp duty um, oh, okay. calculation. It's, it's, it's roughly the same. So, for example, it's um, in Victoria, you know, about our, so our base premium is $480. And then when you apply Victorian stamp duty you know, and GST, it's, it's 580, where in New South Wales, the stamp duty is a little bit less, so it turns up to be $575. So it's really within the same, you know, it's more almost like a rounding error, really. It's not, it's not vastly different um, from state yeah. to state. Okay. So we spoke about some items that we claim for, such as unapproved building works, uh, non-compliant items, uh, boundary incorrections, etc. What are some other items that we could claim on based on our title insurance cover? Yeah, so um, there's about 26 covered risks in a policy. Um, and it's, it varies from uh, risks such as not having any legal access to and from the property to uh, breaches of a subdivision consent, for example. And we've seen all sorts of weird and wacky claims under some of these covered risks. For example, um, our insured may buy a property that was recently in the last few years subdivided and of course, when the subdivision gets approved, it goes through a, a process with the uh, relevant local authority, such as a council, and they look at their own planning policies and they might say, okay, the nature of this subdivision requires uh, drainage to be um, uh, you know, uh, catered for over the property. Therefore, we're gonna require a drainage easement to be registered on that land. But the developer overlooks that condition and the drainage easement is never actually registered as part of that subdivision consent. And that's overlooked. So the subdivision's registered. Um, No one picks up on the fact that the drainage easement was never actually recorded on title. Our insured comes along, buys the property, the vacant land. Great, I'm gonna build the the house of my dreams on on this block. They put their plans into that very same council that approved the subdivision and the council says, hey, we looked at our records and we've noticed that there should be a 1.5 metre drainage easement that runs down the southern boundary of the property doesn't appear to have been completed. So you as the new owner will need to comply with that condition. 
Um, and so that's an example. That's no longer the requirement of the developer in the first place or, or the fact that the council never picked it up when it was being developed? That's right. So once the subdivision approval is issued, those approvals and the conditions attached to those approvals, they basically run with the land. They attach to the land. They're not issued personally to a developer. And so it's almost like Russian roulette. It's just like whenever, you know, as, as property properties change hands and change ownership, any unsatisfied conditions such as that one will just simply become the, the responsibility of the new owner. And sometimes, and we've had many claims, council doesn't pick up on all the things that they require. You know, they just, they, there might be 37 pages of requirements. Mm. A private certifier might come along and issue some kind of certification. And we've, ha and we've seen this where the private certifier satisfies that requirement. Turns out that that certification was incorrect, but the private certification uh, company has since deregistered, wound up, is no longer in existence. So as the homeowner or, or the property buyer, you're left with this liability and then you've got really nowhere to, to go or no one to blame because the company that maybe should have picked up on this five years ago when they issued the certificate is actually no longer in operation. It, it, it wound up or, or you have to take very expensive legal action against them. And that's the value of the title insurance product. It doesn't require you to do anything. You can just make a claim and then the, the, the title insurer comes in and uh, you know, goes to bat for you to get that issue resolved. Yeah, great. So we won't go through all 26 or so different options, but like some of the some of that I've got in front of me here are outstanding council rates and water rates, which um, obviously should have been picked up probably by the conveyancer, non-compliance with existing zoning and planning laws, third-party claims on land, registration gaps. Tell me about registration gaps. Yeah, so registration gap is something that um, uh, occurs in circumstances when you have a settlement and as a buyer, you've probably got an incoming mortgagee and your incoming mortgagee on settlement uh, takes custody of all the title documents on settlement, the transfer, the mortgage, discharge of mortgage. And it's really the job of that lender to then register those documents promptly because until your transfer is registered, you're, no, you're not the legal owner of that property. So where the incoming mortgagee, for example, takes a few days to register those documents, then for those few days, you've paid for the property, but you're not legally on title. And so things can sneak in there during that time. And that's what we call the registration gap. It's the gap between you handing the money over for the purchase of the property and you getting re registered on the title. Now, these days, that risk um, is probably much less than it used to be now that we have electronic settlements such as uh, PEXA and Simply in the marketplace. That risk prior to that was very great and we saw lots of claims on that covered risk. Now we see less claims on that covered risk because um, as a country, we've um, made electronic settlement much more efficient. Um, just to finish off on a, on a couple of others, fraud and forgery is, is also thrown in there. 
illegal additions, building I thing I mentioned, um, unmarkability due to existence of a covered title risk. Uh, let's expand on that. Just yeah, quickly. so unmarkability means that uh, I might buy a property and I take out a title insurance policy when I buy the property. And then I might decide uh, a few years later to sell it. And just say I sell it to you, John. You're my buyer. And you, as the buyer, after exchange of contra contracts, suddenly discover that there's all these unapproved building works on the property. There's boundary defects. You run off and get a survey report which shows that half the house is actually located on the neighbor's property. And you say, look, Paul, sorry, but because of all these massive uh, issues, I'm no longer going to complete this purchase. I'm going to walk away. So because I have a title insurance policy when I bought the property, which covered me for those risks, I just didn't know about them. But I now know about them because you have brought them to my attention as, my, as the buyer of my property. So that's what we would call an unmarketability claim. Because of the existence of the unapproved works and the boundary defects, I now can't sell my property to you because you've said I'm walking away from this. And that's where we get those sort of claims in the context of someone buying the property and then the covered risk presents itself years later when the property is then sold to a third party buyer. So just on that, uh, when you mentioned years later, is there is there any prerequisite or requirement on how old the building is? Like let, let's say I've owned this property for 30 years and, uh, and I've taken out title insurance. Can I claim retrospective th that long ago? Yeah, absolutely. So the title insurance policy coverage comes into effect on settlement of the property. So when you settle on the property and that's the policy date and the policy will then stay active for the life of your ownership. So you can make a claim on the policy 20 years later. And we see that. I mean, we, that's part of a title insurance business is that we might issue a policy in 2005 and we, may, we might not see a claim on that policy until 2020. And that's okay, it's, it's because you've made the claim during the life of the policy, then uh, it's a claimable event and there's no restrictions on when you can make that claim. Yeah, awesome. We have a Facebook group, Paul, that uh, a lot of our listeners tune into and, and put some comments in. And I asked the question this morning, uh, who wants to find out more about title insurance? And, and one of the questions was, is, is the policy valid for for a lifetime of owning the property? Obviously, the, that answer is yes. But they've said even after you've sold the property, so they've got some information maybe from somewhere that it, it may be even valid after you've sold the property. Can you confirm or deny? Yes, yeah, so that, that I can confirm yes. So the, the policy wording actually says forever. I, I generally say as long as you own the property because even though the coverage does cover you forever, there aren't many circumstances where you will continue to be liable for issues after you've sold. One example would be in Western Australia, there's a contractual warranty made by a seller about boundary encroachments. And so even after you sell the property, 
three, four years later, if, it, if that property turns out to have a boundary encroachment, then that buyer can still sue the seller for a breach of that warranty in the contract. So, so that would be one example, and one of the very few examples where even after you've sold the property, you're no longer the owner, you've walked away from it, contract's completed, a buyer can still come back to you years later claiming liability for a property defect. So in those circumstances, the policy would continue to provide cover to you because the policy does say forever. Mm. There you go. Interesting. For dry content, you're making it interesting, Paul, I can assure you. I've learned a couple of things today myself. Um, <laughs> we're, we're starting to sort of round things up a little bit here, but I want to ask you in, in your experience with title insurance, what are some of the horror stories you've seen? Like what are some of the real cases where you look at it and say, well, how did that happen? Um, one in particular um, springs to mind. It was a claim in, in, a, in a rural part of Victoria where the insured bought a house. It was, it was on a, quite a bit of uh, land and he wanted to do some further building works on his land. He went to the local council about that and council said, look, Let's survey part of the property so we know where everything's going. That survey revealed that there were actually, part of his land was comprised of public roads that were reserved but never made. So, the, so part of his land was actually reserved as a public road, but they were never, the roads were never constructed. The result of that actually meant that his entire house, his garages, his sheds, even the dog house, was entirely located outside of his legal boundaries on land that was actually owned by the council and the state government as a public road. Wow. But it wasn't apparent looking at the title plan. It looked like that showed his boundaries but where the, where the fences were located, uh, the property was actually entirely located on land outside of um, the land in his title. And that was just due to- title plans, yeah, I was just gonna say that these title plans that you look at when, when you're reading contracts are, are as blurry as my year four maths report. Like it's just, it's very hard to understand they're being, um, being drawn up in the 1920s, some of them. Absolutely. And that's what happened here. They just had a very uh, sketchy outline of what the lot looked like. And they just assumed that the house was located within those boundaries. But when you took into consideration the, the, the roads that had been created on paper, at least, they were just paper roads, really. But what they actually did is that, like I said, it resulted in his entire house being located outside of his legal boundaries. Now, we resolved that claim by simply doing a boundary realignment. So we went back to those authorities and said, I'm sure it wasn't your intention, but what's happened here is that by creating these roads, you've actually, um, it's actually resulted in this chap's house being entirely outside of his legal boundaries and he's now technically living on a public road. So those authorities were quite happy to cooperate with us and the owner to redefine those legal boundaries so that, that that problem was solved. But you can imagine that would cause quite a bit of a headache if, when you're thinking, I'm sitting in my house watching TV 
and my entire house and garage is actually located on a public road. So that's one example. Another example is we've had um, properties where nearly 80% of the footprint of the house has been built without approval. And if those structures had to be demolished, what would have been you know, a five bedroom house with a pool and a triple garage would have ended up being a, almost like a two bedroom cottage. So there obviously some, some of those claims are, uh, can be very large dollar wise. We've seen claims where people have converted a large house into six or four uh, self-contained flats under one roof. And so people have bought them as an investment property because they've got four tenants living in these apartments. But it turns out that all of that was done without approval. And the owner of the property is now faced with the prospect of having to turf those tenants out and convert the house back into a single residence. So they can be quite bad claims as well. Yeah, so those two last examples that you've given are, are expensive changes or alterations. So do most policies cover for that? Like you mentioned 160000 before. Um, it, it Like those two examples might cost a lot more than that. They, yeah, they sometimes can. The couple of claims that we've had um, have been uh, around that uh, figure. But certainly for that kind of risk, there is going to be potentially the um, prospect of there being uninsured loss for those types of claims. We're, we're fairly vigilant um, from an underwriting point of view now. So for example, you know, if a buyer makes an application for title insurance and we can see clearly the property is a single residence that's been converted into four residential flats, um, we're probably going to flag that to the potential buyer um, as a risk. And um, so we're actually doing quite a bit of work around sort of informing people when they're looking at buying properties, we're giving them a bit of a risk profile on that property. And some people on the basis of the information that we're providing are actually deciding not to buy those properties and moving on to something else. So that's another area where title insurance can add a bit of value in terms of just our expertise with um, uh, identifying and dealing with unapproved building work modifications. Yeah, and that's a great idea. So as part of your due diligence when you're looking to buy this particular property, you're obviously getting things like building and pest uh, inspections, thorough ones with uh, thorough reports and you may be taking a builder through there. You're making sure you, your finance is solid and you're getting those checks done. But contacting someone like yourself to, to get your eyes over it to, to see are there any alarming items or if we've picked something up in the contract, we may be able to then contact you guys and you can do an assessment. Is, is that absolutely a, a, yeah. a free charge? Absolutely. Yeah. Is that, that a free charge? No, that is, that, is, that, 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 that is a service that we offer free of charge or obligation. Obviously, it's, a, it's based on a, a high-level uh, inspection of the property. We don't physically inspect it. We look at it online and, see, and look at the listing. And what we're looking at really is like what we call the low-hanging fruit, so the, the red flags. And that's really what you're going to get from us. We'll, we'll look at it and say, well, there's no obvious red flags. That's not to say there might not be unapproved works on the property. So we still recommend you go ahead and insure, but we can at least identify what we would describe as red flags, which might 
uh, give you pause as to whether you want to go ahead with that with that property purchase. No, that's awesome. So someone listening in today might have an investment property or an owner-occupier. In some cases, it's irrelevant. Can they go and take out title insurance even though they've they've owned it for four or five years? Yeah, absolutely. So most of our policies are purchased when the property is being bought. So it's you know, what we call our residential purchaser policy. And those policies are generally recommended to our insureds through licensed conveyances and, and solicitors. But we do have a, uh, an existing owner policy. So if you missed a boat on that and, you're, and you're, you're an owner, you didn't get title insurance when you purchased, you can still take out an existing owner policy. You can either get that by contacting us directly and just uh, making an application via our website, or you can go back to the, the conveyancer or the solicitor that acted for you when you purchased it, um, and then they can arrange it on your behalf um, most of the time. Cool. Okay, Paul, that's been a really interesting chat. As I said, I've learned a couple of things from it. There was a, another question in the Facebook group was, um, do I even need title insurance? And, and I think I'll answer this one is to say, well, do you need any insurance? What's, what's your risk tolerance and what's the likelihood of, an, uh, of something occurring for you to, to want to claim or be out of pocket? So I think it's like any insurance, you really need to, to look at uh, the pros and cons of, of taking something out. I, I certainly look at this now and, and say, well, okay, if I'm holding something for five years, it costs me roughly $200 a year. It's probably worthwhile in my book. If we're holding it for longer, it becomes cheaper and cheaper because of those items that that we don't know about they're they're the concerning ones for me so um yeah it's been a great chat so thanks for coming on paul no it's great to be here and um yeah thanks for having us on much appreciated no worries um so if anyone wants any information on paul and and stuart title limited uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to their website and you can inquire but generally you would go through any normal conveyancer and they would uh, they would be able to put you in touch with someone any case but um yeah as always thanks for tuning in and appreciate the questions that you brought to us today as well and until next time have a great day We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.